This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness. Unnecessary roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's unnecessary roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Big hole. First down. End zone. Touchdown. Touchdown, Raiders. Would you believe it? This is unnecessary roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. And here we are kicking off hour number two of the show, Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920, live from Los Angeles, California, the Convention Center, Radio Row, Super Bowl 56. Very excited about being here, this opportunity to be here all week long, being brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Right now we have on the phone lines, Mastoff. he's our guest, kicking off the second hour of the show, known as the greatest special teams coach ever. Got a book that's coming out, figure it out. And, Mike, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. We do appreciate you joining the show. And you uh, were in the league covering or being a, a coach in the NFL for a very long time, multiple different teams. Special teams was your specialty. What was it that made special teams your, your bag? What, what made you so good at being a special teams coach? That, that's a good question. I, I think the fact that, number one, I came along at a unique time, 1982. I knew nothing about it. I went in as a, you know, an offensive line coach and tight ends and things. I was even a strength coach for a while. And then, and then I got kind of accidentally bumped into the role and um, knew nothing about it. So I figured it out. But I think the thing that I was able to do, uh, I, I became very innovative and creative. I did it because I kind of had to. I didn't have an all-star team, and I had to sort of figure it out. But also, at that time, there was there was kind of no regulation. It's not like today. Everything's so regulated today. You know, right. we, we could do everything. You could do anything. So I tried everything. And, um, and I developed a philosophy. I wanted to get my coverage to look like a blitz. So I went to Bud Carson when I was with the Colts, a defensive coordinator. who's one of the greatest in history. And I said, Bud, take me through your blitz, your blitz principles. And he took it. So I designed a coverage along those lines. Then as a return team, I, I, I took a return and I made it into an offensive running play where we would double team and trap and cut off the wall and read, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we did it better than anybody ever did it. And that's basically how it came about. But a little bit, a little bit now, Right place, right time. And that's, that's what it's all about. Sometimes it's just that simple as well, just being in the right place at the right time. And, you know, uh, obviously we're here in Las Vegas. We're in L.A. right now. But, I mean, we're, we're yes. based in Las Vegas with the Raiders. And uh, our, our, our coach, interim head coach Rich Basaccia, is now with the Green Bay Packers as a special teams coach. But every player in the locker room said how close that they were to Rich Basaccia and that he was so, so tight-knit with all the players because that's what special teams coaches are. Why do the special teams coaches have such a tight relationship with all the players in the locker room. That's, that's an interesting point. I think in Rich's case, I think in Rich's case, it's a little bit unique. I think the fact that what he did is he took over a team that, that, that you know, that, that happened with John was such a, uh, you know, a stab and, and there was such turmoil. And I think Rich came along with a, with a quiet, calming voice and he dealt with everyone. You know, he got to everybody and he sort of leveled the keel. I believe he did a good job of that and took it on. Now, to be honest with you, as a special teams coach, um, I thought he did a good job, but to tell you the truth, he didn't scare you. 
We just didn't. I mean, I hate to be, you know, no, that's real. Toward the guy, but it just happened. Um, I mean, I, I remember sitting down with him at the combine one year and drawing up all my returns for him. I gave him to him a long time ago. Um, I thought he was a good, solid special teams coach. I'm sorry, I don't believe he's elite in any way, shape, or form. Although I think, I think he did an excellent job when he took over for John Gruden. I thought he brought that team together and he held it. But one of the things that special teams coaches have to do, we have to be reactionary. We, we can only be proactive to a certain degree. We have to react to what the situation is. That's the role that the head coach has. He has to be able to react. Rich took that and did it well. He did a nice job. But yet, you know, I think if you look at, you know, that, that, that there's, more, there's actually more special teams coaches that have, should have gotten head jobs. I should have gotten two of them. Uh, John Harbaugh did the same thing. Right. John, he just, you have to react to the situation. And Rich, that was not foreign to Rich. It was not. And he did a good job with it. I think he pulled the team together. You know, whatever it took, he did a nice job with that. And, uh, uh, you, you know, I, I think that's what made him successful, and, and he helped bring that team together. You know, Mike, you mentioned uh, special teams coaches that, that could have been or should have been head coaches. Well, Joe Judge was a head coach in New York. He's a guy that a lot of people believe is on the radar of the Raiders right now. What are your thoughts on Joe Judge as a special teams coach? I, I liked him. I thought he did a good job. I thought, I thought, that he, I thought he did a very – now, I didn't go against him very often because I was, I was finished by that time that he came along. You know, but he's kind of a – you know, he's the Nick Saban and Bill Belichick guy, and, um, and I thought he did a good job. Um, I, I, when he first got started as a head coach, I was really impressed. I thought he did a heck of a job. Then, I don't know, it kind of got out of whack there. And I, and I really don't know a comment as to what really happened there. I thought that he would do better than he did. I, I really did. Because I liked his background. I thought he did well. And, you know, anytime you, you work with Bill, Bill Belichick, you really learn a lot about football. Now, can you become Bill Belichick? That's the mistake many of, of his protégés have tried to do. Eric Mangini tried to do that. Eric did a lot of good things, but then Eric kind of tried to become Bill, and you just can't do that. Nobody's done it. And, and really, none of them have been very successful. They just haven't. We'll see how uh, McDaniels does. Yeah, exactly. That's what a lot of Raider Nation is saying, that, hey, you know, Josh McDaniels comes from that same tree. We saw what happened in Denver. Can he improve on that now that he's in Las Vegas? And that's still to be determined. Uh, right now we're talking with Mike Westhoff here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. Uh, tell us about your book, Figure It Out. And, again, this is coming from a long, long history of being an NFL coach. You've had a lot of adversity in your life, but you've been able to overcome it. You've been able to figure it out. Tell us about the book. I am very proud of it. Yeah, I coached 32 years in the league. I was out for 30, and then I worked with the media for five years. I had ESPN radio, and I did SNY television show in New York, and, uh, and I loved it. I had a lot of fun. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the New Orleans Saints came along and said, you know, we think we have a really good team. Our special teams are not very good. Can you come down? And I didn't know anybody. I, I, I never met Sean Payton in my life. Uh, the only name I even knew on the team was Drew Brees. And I said, right. okay, I'll give it a try. And I loved it. I, I had a ball. The New Orleans Saints were tremendous. It was a lot of fun. So it was a great experience for me. I always wanted to write a book. I always thought I would do it. And so this is not, you know, this is not the book about the $150 million quarterback. It's not. <laughs> right. It's the guy that came out of nowhere that no one knew about. That, that, and I, and I love finding those guys. I had a philosophy that I dealt with. And you'll, you'll read about it. You read it. But I, I gained some of it from Woody Hayes. Gave me a good thing that I, I used my whole career. 
Um, and people like that, I've got tremendous stories. And, and we figured it out. I took right. these kind of guys, came out of nowhere, put it together, became very creative and innovative, wasn't afraid to do some things. I mean, I, they'll tell you I wasn't for everybody. I was pretty tough. But um, <laughs> I loved them. I, I really liked them. I, now, they might not have thought that all the time when I was yelling at them, but as it turned out. And then now we hold, you know, we hold most of the records in a lot of ways. We were really good and set a type of play that um, I love. We were extremely physical. As a matter of fact, Roger Goodell told me not this year, actually, at a, uh, uh, we were at a, a celebration for life for Coach Shula, and Roger Goodell was teasing me about, you know, Mike, you can't complain about the rules. He said, because most of them we've had to change because of you. And then he, was, <laughs> he said that they referred to me as the mad scientist. And then he, he gave a quote that I'm very proud of. Uh, he, said, uh, he said, Mike Westoff in the National Football League changed the game. Nice. I put that in the back cover of my book. I'm proud of that. So you I think in that regard, that's <laughs> what it's about. It's just about those kinds of guys, those stories, how it all developed, where they came from. I mean, you'll read a story about a guy that we, that we had actually cut. We cut him, and I brought him back to practice the next day. Now, you couldn't do this today. You right. couldn't do it today. But in, in 1989, 88, you could pull it off. And it's an interesting – it's just how these things happen – and I always wanted to chronicleize it, and I was able to do so. And then intermingled with it was my story, kind of a crazy story. Again, I'm the kid that came out of nowhere. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anyone. I just, you know, I was coaching in college. I, I worked hard to get a master's degree. I worked for Lee Corso. You know, I got my degree, and then next thing you know, I got an opportunity. It's, my story getting in NFL is really a good one. It's really pretty cool how it happened. Um, you have to read it, so I want you to read it to see. It was a lot of fun, and then I had the health issues with it, but I just kept going. Right. And, um, and, and I'm extremely proud. And what I liked is Barry Wilner, who's a very good writer and reporter for Associated Press. I wrote it, but he helped me. And then what he did is he would conduct the interviews and record them and type them up. And then as I sent him material, he would, in, you know, he, he would sprinkle the interview parts all throughout the different aspects of the book. So you're hearing how I'm telling the story and then you're hearing how Zach Thomas tells it. Right. Or, or, or OJ McDuffie or Sean, um, or Sean Payton, we interviewed all the coaches. So there's, that made it, I think it makes it a really interesting book because it covers a part of the game uh, that, that really people don't truly understand and how many plays we made. It's so different today because special teams have, they haven't, what's the best way to say it? They've become diluted. They're just yeah. deluded. You, don't many, you just don't have as many plays. I'll, right. I'll give you a. I'll give you. I'll give you one number. I'll, I'll give you one number. My first thirty years in the National Football League. Okay, my first thirty years, not counting PATs and field goals, not counting those plays. I averaged. I averaged twenty-two plays a game. Okay, punts, kick overton punts. Right. My, my last two years with the New Orleans Saints, seven. Wow. Wow. See, I'm, not counting, I'm not counting a kickoff that's a touchback as a play. Right. I got you. I mean, I'm, I'm 70. I could run down the field <laughs> on, a, on a kickoff or a touchdown. My girlfriend could run with me. The two of us, we'd do a good job. We could cover the whole right side. We wouldn't I have heard any trouble. that. <laughs> well, that's, the, you know, that, that's the way it's just different. Um, seven plays. And so, and, and when you look at college football, I see now I've talked to some coaches that are that trying to get me to help them. I work with them a little bit. And, um, they're, some of the new staffs are dividing up their special teams 
with among the staff, like a committee. Like, okay, you know, you coach the you coach the field goal. You you know, you coach this, and they're they're not having a coordinator because the rule the role the role is so diminished. Right. I tried to tell. I told a lot of these young coaches today that they have to fight to keep things alive, but keep it safe. Or the position that I helped create, a coordinator, it'll be gone. It'll be gone. No, it really will be. And I'll tell you, Mike, I'm, I'm ready to run through a wall for you right now. I'm ready to go down on kick on uh, kickoff coverage and uh, keep my head on a swivel and uh, make sure I don't get ear hold. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm me. You better keep it on a swivel. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good chance you were going to get an ear hole. I know, I know. Believe me, been there, done that. I know all about that. And, you know, I want to ask you before we wrap this up, why does it feel like special teams kind of gets pushed to the side by so many teams in the league? As a great example, the Green Bay Packers, who uh, if it wasn't for their special teams unit, they might be playing today, but their their special teams unit was just so bad. Uh, that, that's, a, that, that's a tough question. I, don't, I truly just don't understand it. I really don't. When I watched them play, you could just see – that there's an attention to detail that was sorely lacking. I mean, I know you don't have as many plays, but those plays you better have that make a real difference. They did right. not. You know, that sure. punt, the punt that got blocked, the personal protector releases the wrong. I just watched it on TV, and I could tell what happened. They isolated the center, and the big guy ran right over him and blocked the kick. Of course, the punter, you know, the punter's taken three gigantic steps back up in the hole. I could walk across the street to my neighbor's house with less steps than he took. <laughs> um, and it was ridiculous. And then they get it blocked. They get a field goal block. So those little things, they kill you. The good teams. You don't see the Kansas City Chiefs doing that. David Tobe doesn't do that. These two teams in the Super Bowl with Joe D. Camellis and Darren Simmons, they don't, you're not going to see that. Right. They're well coached, they're well coached special teams units that help. Now, Joe is my good buddies at the Rams. They they didn't have a banner year, but yet they made some good plays. You're, they're not going to get beat because of what they don't know and how hard they don't work. That's not going to happen. The good teams. Don't let it happen. If you're going to do it well, every part has to contribute, every single part. No doubt about it. That's great stuff, Mike. We do appreciate you. Uh, figure it out. That's the name of the book. When does it drop? Let us know when it drops so we can make sure we go out there and get it. Okay, so it's being printed now, so it should be out fairly soon. I'm hoping. You know, these things are complicated. Yeah. I've learned, I've learned more about publishing in the past year than I ever <laughs> thought I would know. It's, right. it's a whole different game. But I'm proud of it. I'm proud that the work we did and the guys that contributed – they all can't wait because they just think it's a good story about parts of the game that not everybody knows. Absolutely. Well, we'll be on the lookout for it, Mike. Thank you so much. You were fantastic. And I know that, you know, we put this together kind of last minute, but thank you for being flexible and working with us. And uh, you're welcome back on the show anytime you like, my man. That's all right. You try anytime you want. Thanks for asking. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Mike Westoff right there, the greatest special teams coach ever. The book is called Figure It Out, and that's exactly what he did. Figure it out on the field. Figure it out in life. And that's what I think that's a great message for anyone. Just anyone. If you're going through something, if you're trying to work through something, just figure it out. Don't play the blame game. Don't look for someone to bail you out. Figure it out out 317 is the time when we come back i believe we'll hear from max crosby from his media session on saturday i know that i've been pushing it back and pushing it back i believe we'll get to it if not well we'll push it back some more uh, so you can hit us up if you want to uh, chime in on the show about any uh, aspect we do have an update on the special teams coordinator i said that joe judge was probably a guy that the raiders were interested in they've hired a guy and it wasn't joe judge so we'll let you know about that we'll take your calls and texts and i believe max crosby you'll hear that sound from saturday this is unnecessary roughness live from radio row on radio nation radio 920 
Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. 322 is the time here. Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness, live from the L.A. Convention Center. Super Bowl 56 Radio Row. Lots of folks uh, starting to walk around and, and be seen and and uh, starting to go to different tables and, and start to enjoy themselves. And so it's going to really start to get ramped up tomorrow and Wednesday, and uh, that's going to be uh, fun and exciting. Very, uh, Just very happy to be here, honestly. I mean, it's just a lot of fun to be out of the home studios and be here in L.A. I wanted to pass along some news about the special teams coordinator. I was just talking about the special teams coordinator and who it could potentially be, and it's not Joe Judge. It is actually from a tweet that I'm seeing. The Raiders have agreed to terms with special teams coordinator Tom McMahon, and uh, he comes over from the Denver Broncos. Uh, So I know a guy here that covers the Broncos like a glove named Cody Rourke that I'll have to go and get some info from him. Uh, on on Tom McMahon, but from what I'm seeing from Bronco fans, everyone's pretty much laughing because he uh, they're saying that he wasn't a very good uh, special teams coordinator. So I'll find out from Cody a little bit later, but uh, that's the latest and the greatest when it comes to the Raiders and their coaching staff. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see where it goes from there. Now. I did want to go out to the Rare Nation listening line real quick at seven zero two three six five nine two hundred. Talk to our guy Shields up. What's up, Shields up? How we doing, Q? Chilling, man. Chilling. How you doing? Not bad, not bad for an old timer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm coming late into the show, and I, what, what's your what's your subject? What's your topic today? I apologize. Oh, you know, it's funny. I didn't really have a topic today, just because we're here on Radio Row, and it's kind of just like you you just go with the flow. Oh, so whatever's okay. on your mind is good to go, man. Whatever you got cooking. All right, all right. Well, <clears throat> cool. well, I'm just gonna say I'm not gonna touch on that album Camaro. I heard. Your previous caller, way back, talk about um, um, the Alvin Kamara thing. I, I just want to say, you know, about Vegas. You said something about Vegas and and it being a, a, a temptation to young players and and everything else. Um, it, it's tough coming out of college, get, getting all that money, um, and not going out and partying and and everything else, but. I got I got to say something about I love college ball. I'm an OSU fan. Okay. okay. Yeah. I love college ball and I just think that the money that's involved and I don't want to be judgmental. But correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, is it more geared toward the money than taking care of the kids because to me the the college players coming out are put on uh like a high pedestal. Right. And and when and when they get into the pros, it's kind of like I don't know a sense of entitlement or something like that. Am, am I wrong? And, um, and and they and they feel like they can go out and do everything else because there's so much emphasis on football and college sports, and 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 to get that money and to get those sponsors and 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 you're am I wrong in saying that? Or, yeah. Good call, my man. Good call. Thank you so much for that. I do appreciate you. I know exactly what you're talking about because at the end of the day, it's always about the money. It's always about the money. It doesn't matter if it's in the NFL. It doesn't matter if it's in college. Hell, in high school now, it's all about the money. Coming from Texas, I know Texas high school football is a big business. I can tell you straight up that we actually, as a radio station, made more money with sponsorships of high school football games than we did the Dallas freaking Cowboys. Think about that. We sold more sponsorships to businesses for high school football than we did the Dallas Cowboys, who are what, America's team? That tells you how big of a business this is. And it's not just 
the players. I mean, you go to the high school level, it's about band. It's about cheerleaders. It's about, you know, this, that, and the other. All of that is it's all a big business. As far as the college game, yeah, these guys, because they want them on the field, you know, I used to say that all the time with Alabama players, and I, I like Alabama a lot. I really enjoy watching it. And I used to say that about Rolando McClain for a great example, a former Raider. Uh, I was excited when they drafted him, but he got into a lot of trouble at Alabama. And you know what happened? It kept getting swept under the rug and swept under the rug because why? He's more valuable on the field than he is not on the field. You know, so, ah, Rolando, just don't do it again. You know what I mean? It was just like it was always something to let these guys get by. And unfortunately, that's what happens. And then when they get to the NFL and when they become adults, adults, where they have to actually be responsible for some things, and still sometimes they get passes. It's funny, driving up here from Vegas, we were talking a bunch of different stories in the car, and we were talking about Dwayne Bowe and how much trouble he got into when he was a member of the Kansas City Chiefs, even though you didn't really hear it a lot. But he got in trouble all the time. But there was always something that just kind of got swept under the rug. You know, and that's just an unfortunate part of it. And sometimes guys get that, that entitlement mentality where they've, everything has been, been kind of slid to the side and, hey, no problem, we'll take care of it for you, to the point where they think that that's forever. That's not forever. That's only as long as you're valuable. That's, that's the reality of it. It's not, I'm not saying it's fair. I'm not saying it's right. But that is the harsh reality of it. But thank you for that call, Shields Up. I do appreciate you. And it's funny that you called and talked about Alvin Kamara. Now, here at the table with us on Radio Row is my guy, Ross Jackson, who covers the Saints like a glove for the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On Saints does a fantastic job. Ross, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm great, homie. Thank you so much for uh, having me on, man. Glad to be here with you and to be seeing you. We've been yeah. working together forever, man. Man, but, you know, This for is the real. time we actually get to be in person. Yes, sir. And I'm actually glad that you were here earlier because uh, I was trying to figure out how to even get into this establishment, <laughs> and Ross is on the corner, and I'm like, yes, I know that guy. I've never met him in person, but I know him, and he's going to point me in the right direction. So you, know, you I got you, man. You, you got us I got in you. here. I appreciate you. And I know you heard the last caller talking about, you know, Kamara and right. talking about kind of guys feeling entitled and stuff and and I don't get that sense from him because I don't think he's ever gotten in trouble I just feel like this is a bad situation that he got himself into in Vegas over the weekend at the Pro Bowl but what is the latest and the greatest that you're hearing on this yeah so so far what we know is that he has a court date set which has now actually been pushed back he ended up with a $5,000 bond okay. and he was held basically for a little while at with uh, Las Vegas Met and so through all of that, the big thing here is really kind of what you were, what you just mentioned. It's really surprising. This is out of character right. for a guy like Alvin Kamara who, you know, consistently wins the, you know, is granted the award for favorite media, yeah. you know, availability from the local media and everything. He's always such a jovial guy. So this feels like a situation to where maybe we call it wrong place, wrong time, whatever mm-hmm. it is, 625 in the morning. I don't know who's trying to throw hands at 630 a.m. Right, right. But that's, yeah. not, that's, you, you know, that's not the guy that I would point Alvin Kamara to be. So there is something noticeable about that bond though being set at just five thousand dollars i talked to a couple of folks that work in law that are much smarter in that area than i am and they talked about how this this particular uh you know booking Mm -hmm. uh in terms of battery and then resulting in substantial injury tends to sometimes range up to 50 to 100 really so there's something really interesting about that portion for sure yes it's a it's a lot less money there yeah there's a lot less money tens to 20s difference you know that's that's interesting (laughs) in its own self right there and so you know, going back to this is a conversation that we've had for a while now with everything that's gone on with, you know, the Henry Rugg situation, mm-hmm. Damon Arnett, you know, now Kamara in, in, in Vegas, 
that, oh, well, you know, it's the city's fault, you know. And, <laughs> and I don't sign up for that. I think that that's a lazy narrative. But, you know, New Orleans is the same. New Orleans yeah. is a city that you can get into a lot of trouble if you want to. I mean, it's almost it's like the city that doesn't sleep. I, I've enjoyed Bourbon Street when I get to go there. But, I mean, how do you deal with it? Because I know that, that like I said, that's a city you can get into trouble as well. Yeah, for sure. Look, I mean, it, it happens almost every time you get some – some team whose fans are traveling to New Orleans maybe right. for the first time, right? An out-of-conference opponent that you only see every four yeah. years or so. And then you'll start to see social media light up with, hey, if you're traveling to New Orleans, oh, be careful. Don't be caught slipping. <laughs> right. All this stuff. And, and it's always so wild because, yeah, you get trouble in New Orleans. You get trouble in Las Vegas. I've gotten in trouble in Knoxville, Tennessee. Like, <laughs> right. you get in trouble anywhere you exactly. go, right? So you just have to know how to compose yourself and surround yourself with, with the right people. And that's not really my, you know, correlation in terms of how I look at the situation right. with uh, Alvin Kamara but you know look from what we understand the the person that was assaulted or the person that you know has this this, this claim uh, was uh, kind of attacked by somebody else mm-hmm. and then Kamara jumped in and right. then three other guys kind of got into it and everything and so it just ended up being this big situation that continued to build up I don't care where you are right like 625 in the morning and somebody starts hauling on somebody else you're probably going to see the trouble 625 in the morning you probably should be at home anyway you should be at home <laughs> you got a you got a Pro Bowl game to play later exactly on, you, know you probably should be at home at 625 in the morning but that's just me you know maybe I'm the old guy you know <laughs> get get off my lawn old man i don't know I, i'm okay with clouds, it you know? right exactly but that's not the only subject i want to talk to you about i also want to talk about the head coaching position yeah. and i believe that it's just been filled and dennis allen former raider head coach dennis allen is getting to get that job that's absolutely correct and he was the front runner all along I yeah mean, the moment that sean payton you know had his his 93 minute press conference wow. one of the things that he mentioned in there during that farewell presser is he kind of gave a little nudge or a little nod yeah. to uh dennis allen and dennis allen you know, the Saints interviewed a bunch of guys, mm-hmm. Doug Peterson, Eric Bieniemy, Brian Flores, Aaron Glint, whole bunch of guys. And the issue or not the issue, but the challenge in terms of overcoming Dennis Allen as a front runner in that situation was simple. Dennis Allen had the loudest and biggest audition of any of those guys because he did it on Sunday night football by shutting out the former or the reigning Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers in place of Sean Payton. So if there's anything that's going to make you feel like you can maintain continuity, cohesion, and culture with a coach, Dennis Allen had the absolute opportunity that nobody else got. So let me ask you this. We're talking right now with Ross Jackson, host of Locked On Saints here on uh, Radio Nation Radio 920. What are the Saints going to do with their situations that they have? I mean, I know that the roster is a talented roster. I know that they're highly over the salary cap, but I also know you can change it up, manipulate it. You can make moves. You can get under the cap. What are your thoughts on how they do go about just that? I, I love the way that they maneuver the salary cap. First of all, it gives me a ton to talk about, which is always <laughs> right? fantastic. Content's great. <laughs> it gives right? me a ton to talk about. But I, I think they're, they're always going to look to restructure those contracts, push money down the road. And with the expected jump that's coming in the mm-hmm. salary cap, there's all the more freedom to be able to do that. The Saints are $74 million over the salary cap right yeah. now. With restructures to base salaries as well as roster bonuses, they can get under that without cutting a single player. Really? Yeah, really. And so and and they've built the contracts that yeah. way. They gave these double digit millions of dollars worth of roster bonuses to players like Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchek and so on. Right. Even uh, Taysom Hill. Yeah. And so they have the ability to move all of that money into future years. So I think that's absolutely what they're going to do. They're going to look to address that wide receiver position. Big things going to be the quarterback. Right. They maintain the continuity of a Saints head coach or a Saints coach moving into the head coaching position. 
Does that mean that you're comfortable with Taysom Hill, or are they going to look for Jameis Winston to come back, right. or are they going to head somewhere else? Well, you know, Cam Jordan was at the Pro Bowl on uh, over the weekend, and he said straight up, I hope it's not a, a quick decision. Right. I hope Jameis signs it. So what, what are your thoughts? Jameis was playing well. Yeah. I was impressed by what Jameis was doing until he tore his ACL. Yes, absolutely. 14 touchdowns, three interceptions yeah. over those seven games that he started. He was outstanding for the team and really was a big surprise. I mean, he opened up. With five touchdowns, five right. passing touchdowns against the uh, against the uh, the Green Bay Packers in Jacksonville when yep. they were playing displaced from Hurricane. Yeah, Atlanta. that's right. They sure were. Of, that was all this season. Isn't that crazy? That like, is. Wow. It, it has been a long, long season, and I think that explains probably why Sean Payton has said, "I think I'm gonna step away for a yeah. minute, you know, for a grip, and I'll be back for I'll be back later." But I think that for the Saints, if they can get Jameis Winston there, based upon what they were able to see from him as an efficient passer, as somebody that they liked, and somebody that could run the offense, that had control of the huddle and that the players love like right. there's there is absolutely that leadership component there that is completely intangible but invaluable I think that the easiest way for the Saints to go throughout this offseason to maximize the talent that they can build and help build that offense back up with Michael Thomas expected to be back Dennis Allen now in place is to bring back Jameis Winston you know let me ask you this why are the Saints so good at rehabbing quarterbacks because they did it with Teddy Bridgewater yeah and he was super popular when he left and went to Carolina and had a nice little bag to go with and then Jameis goes in and I, I remember joking about it because he took such a minimal deal right you know he didn't take hardly any money I mean he was like Working at Mickey D's. It right. was like being on you know, minimum wage. But they rehabbed him. They brought him back to life. And now he's in a good position. And I still think going back to the Saints is the best position for him. But why are the Saints so good at rehabbing these quarterbacks? First of all, pay me over a little bit over a million dollars, and I'll take any Mickey D's job oh, yeah, you want. For sure. You know what I'm saying? Uh, hey, no, man. But, <laughs> you know where I work, brother. I'll be right out there. I'll be right out there. Yeah. No, but um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting thing. I, I, I think – not that I don't know, but there's so many different answers. And I think what I'll highlight is the scheme and the system. Okay. That's not to say that they're system quarterbacks or For anything sure. like that, but every quarterback fits into their system. That's yeah. how the NFL works. If you're a successful team, right. you have a system and a scheme that supports the talent over on your offense and on your defense. And the Saints found out, they figured out the defense since 2017 with Dennis Allen sort of taking over as that defensive coordinator in 2015 after returning from the Raiders. And then over on the offensive side, you have Sean Payton's system, which has always been able to maximize the players that are over on the over on that offensive side. And so I think that when it comes to what happened with guys like Jameis Winston and Teddy Bridgewater, even Drew Brees, right? He had a career it's rejuvenation true. That's true. in yeah. New Orleans when he arrived in yep. 2006. And I think you can say Taysom Hill, too, just looked very different, right? Because yeah. they didn't rejuvenate him as a quarterback. They no. rejuvenated him as a tight end. He's, he, look, he got team. paid. Yeah, yeah. He's, he he's, he's cashing checks. Yeah. And so I think it's just finding out and what the New Orleans Saints have always done so well is that they build their system not based upon what they want their offense to look like, but the strengths of their players, right. and I think that supports the quarterback position quite a bit. It, it really does. I, I got to tip my cap to him, man. I'm very impressed with what they're able to do because, you know, I had questions when Jameis went there. I was like, yeah, 30 and 30, man, a bunch of <laughs> touchdowns, a bunch of interceptions, but, I mean, 14 and 3 when he got hurt. Yeah. That's yeah. impressive. That, that's really impressive. Well, that's good stuff, man. I just wanted to catch up with you a few minutes and, and uh, pick your brain about a couple different subjects. Before I let you go, uh, obviously one of the big subjects in the NFL is, is diversity in coaching. Uh, Dennis yeah. Allen just got hired. I know Biennemi actually came in and interviewed with the Saints. I thought that, that was a cool little uh, interview. thought that the New Orleans Saints would have been a good landing spot for him if he did get it. But all in all, with Flores suing the, the NFL – how do you think that the NFL goes about changing the, the, the landscape of coaches in the league? I think that the, the, 
list of suggestions that were in that 59-page complaint by Brian Flores are key. Mm. And I think that the NFL has to take those into consideration and take them seriously. Yeah. The fact of the matter is that while it's not always best to say, hey, don't worry about it, we'll solve the problem for you by just putting us in, you know, minority candidates right. in those positions and in, you know, decision-making positions, while it's not always the best choice, I feel like it's what the NFL has to do at mm. this point. You have to have those black owners, those black presidents, those black general managers, so on and so forth. And we're starting to see that, particularly in the general manager side. Right. NFC now. North has a couple. Absolutely. It's cool. And, uh, you know, Terry Fontenot, formerly of the New Orleans Saints, he's now in Atlanta. Like, we're seeing right. it yeah. more and more. Quessy over in um, over with the Vikings. And so I think that you, you start to see more of that. That definitely helps. But the ownership part of this question is just so right. homogenous at yeah. this point. Yeah. And so with homogeny does not come progress. So I think that that's one of the places where these big changes have to happen. And I think that NFL franchises have to say, when we are looking for a new head coach, we're not looking for someone to prove us wrong. We're looking for someone to prove us right and change the mentality of the way that we look at minority candidates. I love the way you said that. That's perfect. That's a great way to sum it up. It's a conversation that uh, I'm very passionate about. Obviously, you know, you're very passionate about uh, my man DeMond in the home studio. We always kind of get worked up about it. And I, I always say that, you know, I've never been a fan of the Rooney rule because I always thought it was kind of a sham. Yeah. Like Brian Flores was saying, it's a sham. But it was set for it was set in place for a purpose. Right. It just wasn't it's not being executed correctly. Yeah, absolutely. That's and, the problem. Yeah. At this point, you're looking at two minority candidates, have exterior minority candidates that have to come in. And a lot of these coaching searches, you're seeing how many? Two. Two. Exactly. exactly yep. Those two. And that's where I think that, you know, some of these franchises aren't taking it seriously. And it's blatant. It's not right. hidden. Right. Yep. It's very overt. Agreed. And so I think that you have to be able to carry out these extensive searches and make sure that you're looking at the best candidates. You know, right. the Saints brought in Aaron Glenn, Brian Flores, as well as Eric Bieniemy. So they went just over the threshold. Yeah. yeah. It can be more. Yeah. It can be for better. sure. For sure, and that's GM and head coaching positions. Right. You know, that's that's across the board. And you know, I hate when guys get associated with the Rooney Rule. Whenever you see their name, oh, that's a Rooney Rule interview. Right, like, I hate that, that drives me that. nuts. Yeah, yeah. I'm like these guys earned it. Yeah, they earned the job, yeah. but it's 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 like the or the interview. But the first thing people are going to say is, oh, that's a Rooney Rule interview. Right. And I think you have to look at the history of franchises right. too. You know, covering yep. the Saints, I've seen them elevate general managers like Terry Fontenot. I've seen them elevate uh, vice presidents of, of football uh, operations like yeah. Kai Harley, these coaches like Chris Richard and Aaron Glenn who have gone on to yep. you know take on other – Chris Richard had three different def defensive coordinator interviews this right. offseason. And so when I look at the track record in terms of how it is that they've developed talent, you look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, how they've developed and elevated female talent yeah. within the NFL and yep. within NFL coaching ranks. The Minnesota Vikings as well. There are a lot of teams that you can see the track record over time. And so I think that that content Text is important as well when you're looking at those short-term openings. I agree. I agree 100%. It's so the reason why I always, uh, you know, appreciate the Raiders because, again, they never needed a rule to hire, a, you right. know, uh, Art Shell or, or Tom Flores or Amy Trask or, you know, just right. they never needed a rule. They just did it. Yep. yep. And, that's, yep. And, and I can respect that. Well, Ross, I do appreciate your time, man. Uh, the Locked On Podcast Network is here. You guys are looking all fancy and good over there. Uh, you guys, man, I, I, I'm seeing little breadcrumbs of, of uh, like, teases of who you're going to have over there uh, throughout the course of the week. Well, what you, what, what's going on over there with the, with the network? Yeah, we got a lot coming up. We've got a couple of folks that are be coming through. Um, Marlon Humphrey or nice. Scandrick are going to come through here in a little bit. We're looking at getting uh, Lee Strindberg, who's one of the top agents out yeah. there, a couple of the Rosenhaus guys. And then we have some other fun stuff coming up, too, trying to get Jim Moore to talk about playoffs, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> 
You know, we're trying to get everybody over there, man. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Well, what do you got coming out on the podcast, Locked On Saints? Well, just yesterday I covered the uh, the head coaching search and it's to- you know in kind of its its totalness, totality, yeah. if you will. And, right. You know, talked about how why Dennis Allen was probably the best candidate to get it. So here we are. He got it. So we'll break all of that down and we'll take a look at the rest of this Alvin Kamara situation. As well. Nice, nice. Well, good stuff, man. I appreciate you. Enjoy the week. You know, I'll be over there hanging out with y'all in a little bit. Hey, come on through, brother. Good <laughs> you, to see you, man. You know, I will. It's good to see you too. Thank you so much. There he goes. Ross Jackson, host of Locked On Saints, does a fantastic job covering the Saints like a glove. And also, uh, he's the dude over there at the Locked On Podcast Network. I mean, he's, he's the man. He's, he's running things. And so uh, I'm just glad to be a small breadcrumb along the, along the, the, the path there of the Locked On Network. But, uh, yeah, man, this is, this is fun having everybody out here, getting to meet people that we talk to all the time. Uh, really cool. So uh, 3.42 is the time. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the show. Your calls and texts straight off that uh, Raider Nation listener line, 702-365-9200. Of course, the Salmon Ash text line, 69187, keyword R&R. This is Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. 3.47 is the time. Where does the time go? So funny. This is how Radio Row is. This is a perfect example of how Radio Row is when you're out here. I went into today's show saying, I don't know how it's going to go today. It's a little slow here. And then all of a sudden, Ed Grady popped up. All of a sudden, Ross was like, hey, yeah, I can talk about this. He popped up. Jeff Howe hit me on text talking about, uh, you know, Raiders, a Raiders uh, hire as far as the the uh, safeties coach goes and Chris Ash. And also you look up and you go through, you're through the whole show and you're like, wow, that was fantastic. And then we had that really good interview. And if you miss it, I apologize, but man, we had a really good interview. I thought with Mike Wessoff, uh, known as the greatest special teams coach ever, you want to talk about some energy, that guy. And I guess that's what you have to have as a special teams coach. And look, he kept it real. He kept it real. He said, you know, he, he explained what Rich Masaccia's strengths were. And then also at the same time said, he didn't intimidate me. He uh, he was a good coach, but I don't think he was elite. So I just I just like the fact that he was able to kind of break it down and, and give him some constructive criticism from a guy who's been in that position for a very long time, for many moons. So I can, I can really respect that. I thought that was a really good interview and a lot of good, solid information. And we don't always talk and emphasize special teams. But, man, that was that – was, uh, like I said, I, it made me want to run through a wall for my guy. And, well, the wall I'd run through better not be a, a, a brick wall because I'm going to get stuck at the finish line. You running through that brick wall, Damon, you still got that in you, or, or are you going to bounce back off it like I would? No, I'm running straight through it. <laughs> I know you're, you will, man. And I, I didn't really get an opportunity to uh, – I know we talked at the beginning of the show about, about the Pro Bowl and, and your experience there. Um and, and you said that you enjoyed the game, but was 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 there anything that stood out to you about the you know the Pro Bowl weekend and even the you know the NHL the All Star experience that was going on having both events in in Vegas the same weekend? That Vegas can handle anything that the city needs. I mean, like Vegas has got it all, and it can handle it all. NHL and NFL in the same weekend, but for me. The best thing is just the players for that Pro Bowl weekend, that experience, going out to the one practice that I did go to. That is the highlight of the week. That was the highlight of the weekend for me, just going out and seeing players. Because some of these guys, you know, I like to say that I'm a big guy, but I was standing like two feet next to Cam Jordan, and he looked like a superhero. <laughs> you are not a big guy at all. You you have, you have know, you're, you're a little swole, 
I'll, I'll give you that all day, every day. But you are swole in a compact body. <laughs> yeah, but I was looking. I was looking at Cam Jordan. I was like, Yo, we not even the same species, man. He could eat me. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you guys don't even eat at the same table. Nah, you're 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 ordering off the uh, off the kids menu, and he's he's a grown man. He's a grown man for sure. Look, looking at a couple texts that we got on the Salmon Ash text line at 69187, keyword R&R. Q, this is Steve from Jersey. Got a question for you, my boy. Am I missing something? But the defensive coordinator we got from the Giants, don't do it for me. Hear me out. The Giants got some playmakers on the back end uh, and front end, but their D was pretty trash this year and couldn't get any pressure on the quarterback. Tell me why people are so excited about this guy. He runs a soft defense a lot like Gus. That's from Steve in Jersey. And, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people say that. Uh, based off of their rankings, but I, I do like the hire. I think that uh, Graham is going to be a, a really good defensive coordinator for the team, and the reason I think that is because he does put players that are, are special players, he puts them in position to succeed. That's that's one of the biggest things, and a lot of the numbers that he had weren't impressive defensively, but the numbers that I looked at that were impressive was red zone scoring against, and they were very good at not uh, allowing a lot of points in the red zone, and that's something – Gus Bradley's unit was ranked, what, 32nd? I think last season, um, Patrick Graham's unit was ranked 5th. And that's really, I mean, I know that you can use stats and numbers and you can dance them up and, and, and make them look however you want to to tell your side of the story. But at the end of the day, man, it's about who has more points and who doesn't. And so if you're, if you're not allowing teams to score in the red zone uh, that much, then you most likely are probably going to win some games. The only problem with the Giants is their offense was so, such trash that – their defense was on the field the whole time. And stop me if you heard that scenario before. How many times did the Raiders have that situation where the defense made plays and made plays and made plays, but the offense wasn't able to capitalize, and so they had to go right back on the field? And that's the other thing. The Raiders weren't ranked very good defensively. All their numbers, stats-wise, they weren't very good. But I'll be the first one to pound the table and argue with you and tell you their defense is why they won a bunch of games. Their defense is the reason why they went to the playoffs, because they kept them in games. Did they just single-handedly win them? No, but they kept them in games. I'm not asking them to be lights out. I'm not asking them to be the number one ranked defense in the league. I'm not asking them for that. I'm just asking them to play complementary football and have a little bit of continuity on that side where everyone knows what they're doing. So, I, I mean, it's a wait-and-see thing. I, I can – I could preach to you, and I could tell you every reason why this hire is a great one, and you could turn right back around and tell me every reason why it's not a good, good one. You've got to wait and see, but I do, I do think personally that Graham is going to be a good hire. So uh, it, it's a wait-and-see process. Obviously, we won't know until training camp. We'll see what, what the roster looks like, who's coming back, who's not coming back. Uh, you know the key parts that they have to, to work around. Uh, Max Crosby, Unique Ngakwe. You have uh, Trayvon Merrick at the back end. You have Nate Hobbs. You know, those guys like that, you know those guys are key key contributors to the defense. So who else is coming back? Who else is going to be there? You know, is a Casey Hayward going to be there? Personally, I think no. And the reason I think no is because I think someone's going to pay him. And, well, in the NFL, if you get an opportunity to get paid, I don't blame anyone for taking it. And I'm he's 30-plus, really, got to chase that bag. Exactly. You got to chase the bag. And, again, you there, why wouldn't you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Why wouldn't you? There's just – there. it's so, so many – so many like few opportunities to really cash in that if you do have one, you got to go for it. It's similar to what I said about Nelson Aguilar last year. Like, yeah, everyone wanted to see him stick around because he had a good, good, uh, you know, um, he was on the same page with Derek Carr. You know, he he just had a good relationship with Carr. But man, if you got an opportunity to get money, go get money. Go ahead, and go get it. it. It could be your last big opportunity. And he didn't have a great season. 
but he got a nice paycheck. So that's uh, that that's that's part of you know who, who's going to come back and who's not. Trayvon Mullen, I have a big question about if he's going to come back or not. I don't know. And the the issue I have with Trayvon Mullen is not his ability; it's his ability to stay on the field. It's his availability. That's the issue I have with Trayvon Mullen. So I would I would like to see him come back healthy and stay healthy and be a key contributor. I just don't know if he can do that because it's been proven time and time again that he gets banged up pretty stinking easy. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it is. It's only February. You know, it's early February, so there's a lot of roster moves that have to be made. There's a lot of, uh, you know, um, salaries that have to be moved around. The Raiders really don't have a whole lot of salary cap space right now. Just, I think, currently over about $20 million. It's not a whole lot. So how are they going to put this thing together, man? Dave Ziegler and company have a lot of work that they have to do. Vinny Bonsignor is coming up next in the huddle, 4 to 6 p.m. He's standing by right now. He's doing his he's doing his homework on some uh, potential coaches or potential hires that the Raiders have just made or are on the verge of making. So he'll let you know all about that, and he'll have that when he comes up here on Raider Nation Radio 920 live from the Los Angeles. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm working on not saying the Las Vegas, the Los Angeles Convention Center. Radio wrote. Real Super quick, you before we finish 56. up, did you see a star? Any? Did you see any stars today? Did I see any stars? No, not really. Not really. Not today. I mean, I don't know because I look at stars and I say, I don't know. Stars to me are, are just they're just you and me. You know what I mean? Like they're just they're they're just the same as us. So I don't know. I I, I haven't seen anybody in particular that stood out to me that was like, oh man, I can't believe that person is there. You know, I, I haven't seen any of those yet, but. Uh, later on the week, we definitely will. Again, I'd like to thank Battleborn Injury Lawyers five seven zero nine thousand for sponsoring our trip here to Raider, to the uh, to Radio Row here in Los Angeles. Again, five seven zero nine thousand. Vinny Bustier is up next in the huddle. It's Raider Nation Radio nine twenty.